Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome regular co-host for What's Making News to the program, Russell Hanby. We've got some interesting pieces, and I think, if I'm not wrong, I'll check in a moment. Russell had a little bit of follow-up homework, but we'll sort that out in a moment. Firstly, welcome again to Viewpoints, a co-host, Russell Hanby. Thanks, Henry. How are you today? I'm very well. What about yourself? Yes, I'm good too. A bonza, you could almost say. Remember that bonza. expression? Bonza. Bonza. <laughs> I remember that term. How are you, Bonza? Gee yeah, that's whiz. a very old, very old. I think it probably goes back to the First World War even, you know. That's when a lot of those Australian-isms started, I think, didn't they? Oh, Bonza. Interesting. There's your homework for next week. You, know, yeah. you, you actually, you're sorting your own, you're actually feeding your own homework uh, task. <laughs> Bonza. Yeah, I remember Bonza when I was a little kid. That was a word. How are you, Bonza? Um, great. Well, we'll get on to. I think you had homework, if I'm not wrong. Did you? Yes, a little bit. Following up from the previous homework about the Indian summer, which we talked about last time, but uh, I said at one stage it didn't gain wide currency in Great Britain until the 50s. And you said, why? Meaning, I suppose, why it was so late or something. But Ah, yes. Why is the great question, isn't it? Why is it yeah. so? And who, was, who asked that question? You'd know the answer to this. I don't think we need homework. Why is it so? A famous uh, oh, scientist a, 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 on yeah, television. Yeah, Professor Julius Sumner Miller, remember the thing, those black and white uh, little half-hour science shows? Yes. 50s and 60s, he was extremely popular. I used to love watching that, Professor Julius Sumner Miller. Why he used to say, why is, why, why is it so? Yes, why to, is it so? And that would launch his show, wouldn't it? He used to pick on his assistant a bit, didn't he? You know? He did, he did, but it was all good fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember he was on a Cadbury chocolate ad after that. He sort of sold his soul almost, I thought, then a bit, a little bit, you know. Yes, you've never promoted ads and chocolates and things or anything, have you? No, no. Station, although I've heard you promoting ads or what will we call them? Sponsorships yes. on KC Radio. You, you've, you've, you've done your bit. You can't, yes. Of course, being like a bit like the ABC, we're not allowed to uh, mention uh, ads at all, really, yeah. But just mentioned sponsors. Yes, I just mentioned. I just mentioned those chocolate factory. Then so we, won't, we won't. We won't. We won't go over that anyway. We won't anyway. So, what did you find out about the Indian summer not being popular in England? Well, uh, that's not quite the case, apparently. Uh, maybe the population at large didn't. I couldn't find out why. But another reference says that the name Indian summer first gained popularity in the early nineteenth century. So we've gone way back in the UK. Uh, now, the Manchester Guardian newspaper tried to explain an Indian summer to its readers in 1837. The Met Office in London had a definition of Indian summer in its first glossary in 1916. So it seems to go back well before the turn of last century. Interesting. Amazing. Uh, uh, that's where it goes back. It's amazing what we can think is a fact and it's actually not. No, that's right. So I don't know, one reference, I must have just read that, and it, uh, but it wasn't uh, necessarily the case. I mean, maybe people don't in the street talk about Indian summers until the 50s, but uh, it was certainly well known uh, in the weather situation uh, well before then. Yeah, and it didn't have anything to do with India either. What an amazing... Well done, Russell. We'll get on with our news today. I can see our producer there is watching the time clock and we've got no more than 20 minutes and we have to scuttle along. But well done. But you've got next week's homework and it's bonza to you on that one. 
That's right. I think it's I've seen it spelled two ways: B O N Z A and B O N Z E R. So I'll just see what the majority think on that one. Man, why they're different? Oh God, you got more homework. Anyway, we'll get on with this week's news. The age, Russell. Review on paracetamol overdose risk. Australia's medicines regulator has asked a panel of experts to review the risks of intentional misuse of paracetamol after healthcare officials, professionals, raised concerns about deliberate overdoses involving the popular painkiller, which can become uh, life-threatening. That's a Mm. disturbing piece, but good that they're looking at it. Yes, the TGA, the Therapeutics Goods Administration, that had asked the panel to crunch the numbers on overdosing reports emergency department presentations and hospital admissions that relate to paracetamol, maybe leading to a need for more new controls to access the painkillers. Now, they were concerned by the number of poisonings and deliberate overdosings from paracetamols available from general retail outlets. Now, the report will assist the TGA in considering whether any changes to scheduling, access or purchasing controls may be warranted. Now, maybe they will need to introduce the purchasing limits on the number of packets at uh, supermarkets. Now, the spokesperson for the seller of Panadol, GlaxoSmithKline, they actually supported a two-pack purchase limit. And uh, Consumer Healthcare Products Australia, they deal with the medications sold over the counter. They share the concerns. Now, between 2007 and 2008 and 2016-17, the number of poisonings jumped by 3.8% or 3.8 points every year. So there's been a big increase in the number of uh, overdoses and uh, poisonings by uh, the humble paracetamol. Mm, look, couldn't agree more with the need to to regulate that, uh, well, to do some research on it and then find ways of limiting how many people can get. Of course, there's, there's, a, there's a weakness in whatever they do, isn't there, Russell? That's very obvious. And we don't want to alert people to it, but there's lots of outlets you could go if you're determined to do harm to yourself to um, to just go to about five different supermarkets or uh, chemist outlets and you could dose up or collect them over time. I mean, unfortunately, the bigger issue is how do – and Lifeline, I see, uh, quoted in that piece, as they always are, it's getting to the people who are getting to the point where – they're thinking of self-harm. That's the um, that's the bigger issue, isn't it? Um, obviously, yeah. plug that hole, but that's a band-aid more than anything else, as as, yeah. as useful as it may be. Mm. Maybe more and more will have to depend on a doctor's prescription and they might have to be taken off the uh, supermarket shelves. Eventually, take, one would they, think that might be so, yes. Because if you go down those health aisles, it's just full of those sorts of products, isn't it? Uh, mm. In boxes everywhere. And, mm. of course, everyone... Or even the dentist doctors say, oh, if it hurts, just take a, a Panadol or a, an ibuprofen or something. But uh, you can overdo it, apparently. Yes. yes. And of course, then it costs people money to go to the doctor to get something for just pain relief. I mean, uh, yes, the bigger issue is the mental health issue. And um, yeah, look, um, can't argue with what they're doing, but um, there's a lot more to be done in that space. Russell. Cyber bully, shame on us. What's that all about? Yes, well, almost one in four Aussie kids have suffered cyber bullying, says the Herald Sun, giving Australia the second highest rate of online abuse against children in the world. Now, that's according to a new study. And uh, now there are concerns that not all parents know about their own children being at risk. And there's a gap, in fact, between those being bullied and the parents that know about it. Now, McAfee, the big... uh, 
um, security, I suppose, for a computers, et cetera, company. They surveyed 15,500 parents and 10,057 children across 10 countries. Now, they found uh, 24% of Australian children reported bullying online, and that's uh, just under America, and it compares with 70% worldwide. So there's certainly a higher rate here, apparently. Mm. Now, only tw- now, that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Well, it is, and it is being in the school system because we, we have a lot of um, cyberbullying and bullying programs, respectful relationships is really ramping up these sorts of activities and approaches to, to, to counter it, uh, sadly, and uh, uh, I think very pointedly, a lot of the bullying is from kids to kids. Yes. You know, yeah. um, and that's just, you know, we... <sighs> We, we, get and frust- we get very frustrated in the schools with the, yeah. the, the, the fact that we're not making enough inroads into diminishing it. No, and of course, a lot of it occurs out of school hours, doesn't it? It's not just like bullying like 20 years ago, you'd be bullying in face to face. It's all uh, the sinister uh, cyber bullying that can occur at any time. And only 20% of parents here apparently were aware their children had been exposed to bullying, although two thirds said they were concerned about the risks, but uh, they weren't really aware too much. And uh, and so, and there's a Dolly's Dream, which is an organisation. Uh, it uh, the spokeswoman there, Jessie Mitchell, said that she hoped the high number of reports would start to diminish cyber bullying, and the, the children are advised to feel comfortable talking about bullying and to screenshot any messages they're not happy with, and approach, say, the school for help or even contact the e-safety commission. So uh, that's what, what they recommend. Mm. Of course, when we say it doesn't happen in the school, um, that's a lot of it. That's true. Uh, of course, it flows back to the school. But we've also got to remember that when we get into our respectful relationships programs, um, Russell, we're not just um, educating kill children to be good at school. It, it, it's about society at large. We're preparing children as citizens of the broader community and the future so you know while it's very exasperating hearing oh yes look it's happening out of school and what can the school do about it and we sometimes get a bit overwhelmed and think gee it's a bit unfair that we're having to engage in uh, dealing with out of school uh, issues Um, at the same time we can't escape the fact that what we're doing is not making the inroads into out of school behaviour that we'd wish and so you know it has to be a whole team approach but yep that's an ongoing issue and sadly one which um, we don't have a good track record on when we look at ourselves um, internationally. We need to take a short break can you hold the line my friend? Yes I can. Russell Bambi listeners will hold the line and we'll hold the line and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Viewpoints. This is I'm your host, Henry Grossick, and I'm a bit of uh, discussing what's making news and other things with Russell Hanby, my co-host. Welcome back, Russell. Thanks, Henry. Russell, Herald Sun, Swans Face Lethal Peril. Now, this is a local issue in terms of Australia. At least nine swans have been euthanized or killed in just five months in Ballarat, uh, a large city um, north or northwest of, of Melbourne. Um, and with the most recent having had its head decapitated on the weekend. Terrible stuff. Tell us about it, Russ. Yes, uh, it is uh, bad. And um, the uh, in 2022, that's this year, uh, rescuers have received calls for 19 injured swans near Lake Wenderee. Now, most are from car strikes or dog attacks or entanglement in fishing line. 
Now, this week, six swans had to be helped. Now, one, as you said, was decapitated by a sharp knife, uh, as well as being apparently attacked by a dog. Now, as well as that, then other times, an ibis and a brush-tailed possum also been attacked with sharp knives. And so there are some suggestions, uh, whether they'll be very helpful, I don't know. One is to keep the grass long for the swans. They like long grass and won't wander if it's already long. And also to reduce speed limits around the roads to 40 kilometres per hour with perhaps speed humps and installing CCTV cameras. And so uh, that's one of the issues. And the Victorian wildlife is protected under the Wildlife Act and can lead to penalties of up to $8,000. But it's a very uh, sad and alarming story, that one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, it is. I mean, they're, 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 they're beautiful birds and they're not harming any of us. And the fact that in some cases uh, there's clearly cruelty towards these these beautiful birds is 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 beyond belief um i think some of the other measures to what what are reckless and accidental deaths um of not just swans but other animals um some of the speed limit uh, uh ideas make sense um also little retreats within the lake like like when a big lake and i'm sure they've, they've already got them there but having safe havens where we can't get to them might also be um, another method. but um, And also just being sensible environmentally, getting caught in nets and plastic and all that sort of stuff. That affects a lot of uh, animals, not just uh, swans, but fish yes. as well, I, and terrapins and uh, so on and so forth. And I was reading about, uh, since the COVID business, so many of those masks have uh, found their way into seas and waterways and causing lots of damage to uh, uh, sea life too, yes. Absolutely, Russell. So, yeah, look, um, yes, yeah, one's a beautiful bird. Um, and Lake Wendouree, actually, it's a beautiful lake up there. And have you walked around it? Yes, it's a good walk, a decent walk, but it's nice, isn't it? Very relaxing. Walk, very relaxing walk. And there's been a lot of developments up there over the last, 10, 15, 20 years, it's it's really, really quite beautiful. And um, if you want to stop halfway and have a cup of coffee or some bite to eat, there's some lovely little cafes around the the edges of, um, of Lake Wendouree. Which sort, like, of brings us in, that sort of brings us to our next topic, almost, doesn't it? it Russell, and I'll let you just segue yourself nicely into it. You can swan into <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> from, the, from the age, treat yourself to a daily joy ride. Now, it's the little things that make us happy. So list them, says, writes Jackie Lewis. Happiness shouldn't be some far-off goal. It should be a daily reality, and it can be, when we remember that it's the little things that bring us the most joy. And so uh, it's imperative, apparently, to have space to breathe and meditate. That way we can cultivate ideas and feel through concepts and be a human instead of constantly engaging with the world. And that might be, you would become then a, a peaceful person and you peaceful people usually act kindly and with compassion. So that is, we need me time. Now, endorphins, serotonin, serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin, they're the happy hormones and they lead to higher uh, stress and pain uh, tolerance. And um, they can also regulate uh, mood and help prevent depression, making us more happy and sociable. So the upshot of this little uh, article is that joy and happiness shouldn't only be for big events like weddings and holidays, but happiness should be a daily reality. And what's suggested is that we write down and put on the fridge uh, 10 small things that make you happy. Now, this can be little things like long walks with your partner, a hot cup of tea, 
uh, reading non-fiction books, and there's a whole lot of other little examples given, and you uh, try to keep to them every day, and you ensure that uh, there are not these are not occasional activities, but daily. And so the idea is to keep the joy rides up. Mm. Yes, and look, uh, in, in saying that, we don't want to whitewash the fact that there are a lot of people around Russell who, for one reason or other, find it very difficult to create a list of even five uh, small events in their days that uh, can bring on happiness because um, you can think of a lot of people who are in positions where that would be thinking about a list as a luxury, let alone having a list. So don't want to trivialise the fact that um, that's not an easy task for many. But for many of us, yes, we can find things. And I think sometimes the point also, Russell, is that we look for the big bang effect that, you know, the monster thing and we don't find any of these great peaks so we forget about the little peaks that we can have such as, you know, for me, just talking to you on a regular basis, what's making news, <laughs> it's one of the little joys of my life, <laughs> raises ah. my serotonin levels, <laughs> no end. Ah. And I'm not oh, being sarcastic oh, either, Russell, oh, we've, been doing okay. this. we've been doing this for a long time, the, the joy could have rubbed off it if we hadn't uh, taken it seriously that what a pleasure it is to work with each other. That's right. It must be over 20 years now. Yes, 22nd or 23rd this. year. It was 2001, yep. so we're into our 23rd year. Now, you were my original mentor and trainer. Has it ever occurred to you to give me the flick? <laughs> no, not really. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, that means no. time could. Well, I've, 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 I've been very honoured to have been mentored by you in radio, and uh, it's, it's a real honour to have you still wanting to work with us on Viewpoints, even if... I am scrambling around at the last minute at times to get the headlines and the body content to you. You've, you're very, you're very patient with me, Russell. Oh yes, I've got on constant uh, in the text that reminding, asking, can you send through the headlines? But uh, that doesn't. Today was very good. I got them very early. That was yeah, nice. Oh <laughs> yes, I can sporadically be on the ball. Russell, <laughs> time is on the wing. The odd spot. This is an interesting one, and yeah. it's got some seriousness to it. Yes, uh, Succession and Babe, the, those two movies. The actor James Cromwell in those, he super glued his hand to the counter of a Manhattan Starbucks in protest of the chain's senseless upcharge for non-dairy non milks. Now, as a part of an animal rights protest, the actor, wearing a T-shirt with the slogan, Free the Animals, led a chant of, Save the planet, save the cows, stop this vegan upcharge now. <laughs> now, Crom Cromwell and animal rights group Peter says that the uh, charge punishes, the, the charge from Starbucks, punishes vegans and people who can't drink animal milks and contributes to the climate-related consequences of dairy farming. Yeah, well, Sorry. look, I, I can see his point there, but what about his hand super glued to the counter? What's happened to that? <laughs> I don't know, but at least it's got the publicity that he was seeking because here we are in Australia um, talking mm. about uh, this mm. Manhattan Starbucks. Mm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, see, I, I, I have um, oat milk now and you go to cafes and restaurants and many more of them are having oat milk and soy milk and all sorts of things um, and they don't, up the charge, they just do it as a matter of course. So I'm interested to know that Starbucks charge you for those milks. Yes. Well, I think they all charge slightly more, don't they, if you have these special mm. milks? Like, like my wife likes almond milk and her coffee, and they charge about 50 cents extra, I think, for that yes. in, the, in the coffee shops. But not, not exorbitantly so. No, no, no. 
It's uh, and 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 another thing that people that has grown is decaffeinated coffee. Now you can a lot of people in the evening now don't like you know non-caffeinated uh, caffeinated coffee, normal coffee. So uh, there was a time when you couldn't get it. Then they only had it as instant decaf. But now it's uh, par for the course. Um, so you know we we can drive change in business if the community. Wants something, and I think uh, there's a point here with James Cromwell. Um, I hope he's got his hand off that counter because he's a good actor. <laughs> he is too. I wonder how they do. <laughs> if he's stuck to that counter, it's going to limit yeah. his acting opportunities. <laughs> I think what do they use acetone, don't they? Nail polish remover or something stronger to to get it off. I guess it, it, it wouldn't be pleasant yeah. though. We, I mean, you can't get a, a Stanley knife and start carving oh, away, can you? <laughs> Russell, 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 let's not go there. Russ, that takes us out on that note. Um, and uh, we look forward to next week and that little bit of homework you gave yourself, actually. Yeah, that'll be Bonza. Bonza. We'll all be Bonza next week. I like the B-O-N-Z-A version, actually. That's the one I'm used to. But Bonza, Yeah, I think that is the main... Uh, yeah. I'll just check on that little aspect too, yeah. Excellent. All right, we'll catch you next week. It was Russell Hamby and What's Making News, listeners, where, as always, we have some information there and some fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll catch you soon. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 